This is Hitting the Mark, conversations with founders and investors about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success, with your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Garhalter. Welcome to Hitting the Mark. In our last episode, I talked with creative extraordinaire Michael Astoria, who, after selling his New York-based agency to beauty powerhouse Shiseido in 2017, is now co-founder of the counterculture pizza chain and Pizza, a pizza joint that was named one of the world's 50 most innovative companies the second time in a row by Fast Company. Today, we continue that mini-series of advertising creatives turned into entrepreneurs using their background to flip commodity-type offerings into sought-after cult brands. My guest today is Mike Cesario, who founded Liquid Death, the first irreverent bottled water brand that can compete with the cool factor of unhealthy brands from beer to energy drinks. Inspired by the death metal and punk rock culture, Liquid Death takes an extreme approach to marketing, in stark contrast to aspirational health and wellness brands. Prior to starting Liquid Death, Mike was an advertising creative director who worked on viral campaigns for clients like Organic Valley and Netflix. Some of his viral hits include Organic Valley's Save the Bros, which, if you have not seen it, please head over to YouTube right after this podcast and check it out for a good laugh. And he also did teasers for House of Cards, Narcos, and the show you have all been binge-watching over the past weeks, Stranger Things. Welcome to Hitting the Mark, Mike. Hey, how's it going? Cool. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for making it. So we chatted a little bit before. We're, we're both graduates of Art Center College of Design. I know people in pretty much all of the agencies you worked at. We're both based in LA. Um, yet I learned about you and your water company via the Los Angeles Business Journal, which is a strange way to connect. But when I read about Liquid Death, I knew it would make for a killer episode. See, it's so horribly easy to pull puns over puns with a death-themed brand, mainly because you think that those brands are all destined to die before birth. But tell us how how you turned into kind of the arrogant bastard ale brand of Waters. It's a, it's a strange path to take. When did the idea come about? So it's interesting that you bring up arrogant bastard. Um, I think one thing that we know I've always noticed is craft beer kind of gets to break almost all the rules of branding. And at the same time, it's one of the categories that people are insanely passionate about. Like people who like their craft beers, love their craft beers. And you can find craft beers called skull crusher IPA or arrogant bastard ale. Um, you know, because they kind of know that there's a huge market for their audience. That's at least 21 years old. So they don't have to really like, you know, pun intended, water things down <laughs> to, to kind of please everyone. So there's always just this cool factor with craft beer that I felt was just kind of unmatched with everything else. And then, you know, that was sort of the inspiration for kind of the brand and packaging of Liquid Death. You know, I grew up playing in punk rock and heavy metal bands outside of Philadelphia. And that scene is actually where I really got into health, believe it or not. And I think that's a thing that most of mainstream culture has not 
really seen or realized that in that world of heavy metal and punk rock and you know all that stuff people really there's a lot of people who care a lot about health you know we like to say there are probably more vegans at a heavy heavy metal show than a taylor swift show <laughs> um you know in inside the world of of metal and hardcore there was this little subset called straight edge where they were very vocal about no drinking no drugs um that's not exactly what the, the market that we're you know we built this for but it's just one example of how there a lot of this culture does care about health and has so for 30 years um but you kind of look at the fact that the world is all moving towards healthier like every new brand is all about health like all the unhealthy stuff st soda has been in basically i think like a 13 year decline in, in sales mm. um beer has been in a decline of sales uh there's all this data showing that gen z and millennials no longer think it's cool to be drunk they actually consider it pathetic and embarrassing um so all this stuff is kind of moving towards drinking less alcohol being healthier you know willing to spend a little more for healthier options you know people being a little bit more aware of sustainability it's getting broader and broader but if you look at the health food industry um they only market their products in one tone of voice they're kind of just going for what you know what i think is like the cliche health food customer and i think they're making big generalizations around what healthy people are into like oh you know it's about yoga and it's about aspirational. So we're going to just show really good looking fitness models in our ads, because that's, that's why people are going to want to drink our product and be healthy because they want to look, you know, like this impossible person. And we just think that's kind of bullshit. And, um, in reality, you look at what people are really into. Most people wouldn't know that the walking dead is, I think the number two or number three, most popular show for women a show about flesh eating zombies, but <laughs> you would never hear a healthy brand say, Oh, our, our target is women. Let's do a whole campaign about zombies would never happen. Even though there's proof that this is something that entertains this group of people and that they're into. So I think that's kind of what we're doing is sort of, you know, never taking ourselves too seriously. I think that's the biggest filter for our brand is anything we do. I think, we want people to realize like, oh, okay, these guys don't actually think water is super tough or, you know, it, <laughs> we're, we're kind of making fun of, of, you know, 40 years of bad marketing, you know, it's like, and it still hasn't changed. It's like people are, these big brands are still thinking about branding and marketing, not much differently than they were thinking about it in like the 1960s. Yeah. And I kind of feel like the bar for for branding and marketing is so low for how entertaining it has to be, how authentic it has to be that people can do all this bad stuff. And it seems like, Oh, this is actually pretty good compared to this other really shitty thing that's out there, you know, <laughs> but if, if you really held it to the standard of entertainment, you know, like, you know, I, I know you have a book on, you know, how to make a brand. Um, for us, I look at it like trying to make a book about, how to make a great brand is almost like trying to make a book about how to make a hit TV show. You know, it's like, <laughs> how, th there's so much that goes into it. And you know, that it, 
like you almost can't reduce it to a formula, even though there's a lot of people that try it. And because a lot of the times the people, maybe they're not coming from the marketing background. You've got to figure out all these other things to run and operate the business. You don't have time to spend weeks and hours and, and days trying to get the nuance of brand and, and, and what's going to resonate with people. So I think that's ultimately at the core of our brand is, you know, we want to blur the lines between a brand and an entertainment company. And we want to hold everything we do up to the same standards as what you would hold a television to or a television show to or a movie. Like, because at the end of the day, when you're putting stuff in people's social media feeds, um, you're not just competing against other water brands or other ads. You're competing against YouTube influencers that are making explosive, amazing, amazing, engaging videos. You're competing against movie trailers. Um, you know, it, I think the bar is much higher to actually make people care about what you're doing than most brands um, can imagine, really. Totally. No, and you, there was so much. There was so much in what in what you just said, and I, I'm I'm kind of trying to rewind on uh, on some of those yeah, some yeah. of those thoughts. Um, one of the things that you said about you know not taking yourself too seriously. Um, that is that is just this repeating thread that I see going on with all of or a lot of my podcast guests, where it's basically like. I have a podcast about branding, but everyone talks about being the anti-brand. And and I think that's what's so interesting in today's age is that, no, there is no formula. And even in my book, I, I only basically talk about that your background story is bigger than your product and that it's all about right. belief and cost and, you know, transparency and solidarity. And, and that is all exactly the formula that you took, um, just that you know it intrinsically because you came from the world of, of marketing right. and branding and right. advertising. But you do it in such an authentic way and authenticity is such an overused word especially by all the wrong right. marketers. But I mean, that idea of not of not giving a shit and just being yourself and doing your thing and being out there to give value and entertainment to to your to your tribe. I mean, that's really that's really what 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 makes a brand. And you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the problem with all of these health uh, and wellness, um, you know, especially retail brands, all looking alike, talking the same talk. Um, a couple of episodes ago, I had uh, one of one of the early and main investors of uh, Beyond Meat uh, on on this podcast and they they realize the same thing that it's like no you know like our our veggie burger should not be in the veggie vegan you know stamped you know compartment this is this is a burger that you know that real guys can flip on their grill <laughs> this is not about yeah. you know you having to be you know stamped into a certain kind of like micro micro niche but um Let's talk about that Micronesia a little bit because I think I think it was it was fascinating when I read about Liquid Death. Um, first, I was like appalled because it's totally not my lifestyle, and I'm like, oh my god, their heads flying around and there's blood. And why is this why is this yeah. water from Austria? That's why I'm from. This is totally not cool. I need to get this guy on. Um, and then <laughs> the more the more I read about it, and the more um, I I heard you talk about the straight edge punk rock lifestyle um which i was totally not aware of I'm, I'm a huge music buff but i had no idea and it's actually it's actually a lifestyle that you already talked about a little bit um and and, and people from you know like band members of metallica of fugazi of bad religion and even che maskis of dinosaur jr who i'm a big fan of they're they're all part of this kind of like sub 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 group um and I believe so much in that idea that if you if you go with a group that you understand really really well, which you do because it's a lifestyle that you come right. from, it sounds like um, 
you know, and you dive into that, that you can create a product that authentically will resonate with your audience. But how did that audience change over the past year or two years, right? Because you've been around for like a year or two years as, as, as a brand. Um, how do, and how do you ensure that that brand stays weird and out there and, you know, like connecting with that particular lifestyle without feeling fake despite its, despite its success? That's a good question. I think that's some, I think that's a thing that most marketers or brands get wrong because I think, as you know, like on the creative side, we think more emotionally and culturally, whereas on the business side, people then tend to think much more rationally and logically, you know, like, so what isn't necessarily a rational thing is if you can market and be very authentic to a very, very small audience. That does not mean that only that small audience is going to care. You know, with Liquid Death, pretty much the filter that I've put every decision of the brand through is, would Slayer think this is cool? <laughs> <laughs> and even though that seems like a very, very narrow, you know, appeal, we have this huge halo effect of that. And you know, we have someone, you know, a woman from the UK who is like, I hate metal, but I love this brand, <laughs> you know? And, and that made me start thinking like, okay, how do I quantify that? Like, what is it? Like, why is it that I'm making like severed heads and blood flying? It's called liquid death. Like I'm being very authentic to heavy metal, but why are old ladies and like, you know, people who have no care about metal in this world really resonating with it and i think what i've come up with is like you said the word authenticity is is kind of overused and it, it, people don't really know what it means or, or or how to employ it effectively but i think everyone knows that people are moving away from big food and big drink you know like and in favor of small and local and craft like that's just like a big thing that shift that's been happening over the last decade and you're starting to see all the big brands kind of trying to appropriate this like small handcrafted look that people are willing to pay for and are more attracted to than their like big mass produced kind of brands. So when McDonald's is now making things called artisan sandwiches <laughs> that look like farmer's market kind of design, you kind of know that that old way of, of seeming small from like a look and feel standpoint isn't really effective anymore. Like you can go to a grocery store now and find a bag of beef jerky that you don't know, like, is this from a farmer's market or is this like some massive corporate brand? Like you don't really know anymore because it's the lines have been so blurred from that look and feel point of view. So my belief is that in 2019, when you have two to three seconds of someone looking at your product to make an, you know, an opinion on it, the only way you can instantly communicate to someone, this is small, this is not big and corporate, is by doing and saying things that big brands would never do. You can't really just do it anymore from like, oh, I'm going to make it look like it's from a farmer's market and people are going to see it and say, oh, that's small. No, because that's everywhere now. So now it, the bar has got even higher for how do you instantly signify that this isn't a massive, massive brand. And I think that's really what people are connecting with. When people see a can of water that looks like beer 
that's called liquid death with a skull on it instantly they're like this is not coke this is not pepsi this is there's I, there's real human beings behind this brand that maybe i'd want to have a beer with you know so i think that's uh that that's been our uh in terms of like an audience how it's spread it's like i just keep it very very true to that small core and the halo just kind of keep keeps growing well beyond that because they respond to the authenticity and you know the uniqueness of this is something they've never really seen before in this kind of consumer packaged good space and to play devil's advocate you know it yeah. is it is extremely difficult especially with the coolest looking microbrews um to to know that they're not part of the big conglomerates because they're changing hands day in day out, right? It seems like right. it, it seems like it's a little um, you know Silicon Valley where it's constantly you know things are just being bought and being sold and being bid on. And I don't know, right? I don't know if the cool the cool craft beer with the skull on if it's actually owned you know by one of the three big ones. And quite frankly, I will not know in two years from now, if you actually, you know, sit on an island and you sold your soul to Coca-Cola and Liquid Liquid Thirst is now owned by Coke. Because if there's money in the game, then they're going to put their skin in the game, right? It doesn't even matter what's on, the, what's on the bottle and what's on the can. So I think that is actually really important to defend the territory um, and to make sure people understand that. Because I, as a consumer, I don't even know that anymore. I don't, because it, it's just that idea that just because there's a skull on it, it can't be owned by one of the big guys. I think it's changing, you know, because well, in the end, money is, you know, money is what it's all well, about. Well, I think that's why it's even beyond, it's even beyond the skull. You know, the fact that a brand is called Liquid Death <laughs> you know, when someone tries to think about, okay, maybe I could imagine a skull making its way through a corporate boardroom into a real product, but nobody believes that liquid death has made its way through a corporate boardroom into a real product. Now you're, you're right. If it gets to a certain point where liquid death just becomes this huge thing, of course, all the big guys, you know, are going to be looking to kind of cash in or make it a part of it. But I think one thing I've realized with Liquid Death since the beginning is we're always up against the fact that people think this isn't this isn't going to be the real deal, right? So when I first came up with the idea, all right, I want to make a water brand that looks like beer because, you know, I want the healthiest thing you could possibly drink, which is water. And most people don't drink enough of it. It's become this like utilitarian thing where it's like, okay, I drink water if I'm at the, at the gym. Maybe I drink it in my cubicle sometimes. But it would never be common for someone to be like, oh, what do you drink when you go to the bar? Oh, I drink bottled water. No, it doesn't happen. Or what do you do at a, what do you drink at a party? Oh, I drink bottled water. It, it just, it's become a utilitarian thing. And it, it, it hasn't, from a brand and, you know, Uh, occasion standpoint been accepted in this wide range of other usage occasions like soda is or like beer is or like alcohol is so i think what what we're really hoping to do is to to change when people drink this thing and you know like we know in bars most people you're in bars to kind of meet people or interact with people. So there's data showing that the reason people walk around with a Guinness versus a Paps Blue Ribbon versus some other kind of beer, they're trying to signal something about themselves in a social environment. 
you know, they want something that's a conversation starter. They want to talk to people. And Liquid Death has been doing really well in bars and things like that because people are, you know, it, it's a complete conversation piece. You know, people see this like, what, what is that? Wait, that's water? What do you mean that's water? You know, it just kind of creates a conversation and, and people are attracted to that. But I think the Coca-Colas of the world, it's going to take a lot for them to ever take that risk because they're just not built to understand or build really emerging brands. They are built to sustain brands that are already doing like, you know, half a billion dollars a year or a billion dollars a year. They can't make a decision without this old process of focus groups and testing. So when you start running liquid death through that old system of a focus group, it's never going to make it through. You ask people, oh, what do you think of this liquid death? They're going to be like, oh, this is stupid. Oh, this is dumb. And then it's not going to make it through because it's not actually allowing the market to really test it. So I think it would be a long, you know, I think we would have a long road ahead of us in terms of massive, massive success before a Coca-Cola would, would probably ever like take the leap. And at that point, it's one of those things where we'd have to make the tough decision of, you know, do you kind of use, you know, do you have someone like this that helps basically spread it to more people, but with a brand like liquid death, it, it's pretty much all brand. So if they didn't truly get what made the brand special and didn't give, you know, creative control or power to kind of keep the brand what it is. And they try to like, quote, you know, water it down, that could be the end of the brand like that. Mm -hmm. And it's happened before. It happened to Snapple. I don't, do you remember the old Snapple ads, the original ones with like the lady from Long Island? Mm. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was like shot with like not great cameras, but it felt really authentic. Like yeah. it was a real Long Island type person. And it became the fastest growing beverage brand ever. Got bought by I think Quaker for like three or $4 billion. Huh. And then as soon as it went to Quaker, they put that kind of great little brand through the corporate kind of system. And they said, okay, this woman, she's not aspirational enough. We need to, now that we're going to be a big brand, we need to get someone a little more aspirational because your small things aren't going to work anymore on the big scale. And you know what? We got to shoot it with better cameras because your stuff, it just doesn't feel very professional. And they changed it all. They lost over a billion dollars or $2 billion in market share in less mm. than two years. Yeah. So it's like that stuff happens and, and you just have to you have to be aware of what, what you're getting into. Yeah, no, totally. And I think, I mean, what will most probably happen, and that's going to be, you know, a, a really great thing for you to see is when suddenly at a bar, there's another water in a, in a, in a beer can, right? Um, that's what's right. going to happen. It's going to be, you know, right. it's going to be the Coca-Cola's moving in and saying, well, that makes sense. You know, kids want to, kids want to drink beer in bars. And so now there's this guy doing these waters. So Let's just do the same thing and have a cool brand for kids. And, right. you know, they have huge distribution. You know, they've got huge power. But um, like you said, building that authentic brand, that's, good, that's near impossible for them. And I see, I see right. them fail over and over and over again. And, and that's why what you're doing is so extremely genius because you, you realize that, that you can actually come in really, really strong and be unreasonably bold and, and, and altogether unreasonable, right? Because, because you right. can. You have to, right? And, right. you know, a, a question for me is since, you know, well, 
how did you know that that your audience, right? So here's here's the punk rockers going going to the show, um, and they're going to see that tall boy can of of water. How did you know that they would not call BS on heavy metal looking beer cans that sell us two dollar water? I mean, since this easily could have gone two ways, right? And in your own words, you call marketing and branding BS on your site. Yeah. So how was that fine line of humor, sarcasm, and then yet that deep connection created? I mean, you must have been at least a little bit nervous at some point. To be honest, I never really was nervous about it because I think at the heart of, at least, you know, my understanding and, and the reason that I gravitated towards punk rock and metal in that world was, you know, the ability to kind of, for lack of a better word, fuck with people and kind of infiltrate something where it's not supposed to be. I think that's like nobody, punk rock wasn't punk rock really when the only people who saw it were 20 people in a room. Mm. You know, it was like when, when Iggy Pop got on a mass stage and you're seeing this psycho like losing his mind on stage and doing things that nobody's ever seen before and it was selling it to the suburbs, then there's this big outrage of like, what is this music? This is the devil's music. This is bad. This is, you know, it creates, and that, kind of tension of, of disrupting kind of like long-standing norms that mm -hmm. tend to be very restrictive. I think that is at the heart of what, of what I think punk rock and, and, and counterculture really is. And I think I knew that liquid death, making it into an actual product, which is not easy, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's like, there's not many, you know, I feel like if you have a an, an uh, disruptive or unacceptable idea, what you're supposed to do is just make a band and then your product is selling albums. That's how you get your disruptive idea into the world. It's like, oh, you want to be crazy? Okay, make, make a band, make an album, sell that. Because anybody can really do that. Like you can find a recording studio fairly easily. You can record stuff. There's home recording equipment. Like you can put your idea out there. But if you want to make a disruptive idea in that same tone of voice into a consumer package good, and you've got to figure out how are you going to get people to give you all the money it takes to make it? How are you going to actually figure out production in Austria to make this thing? Then how are you going to actually sell it, deal with the Amazon backend system of shipping people product and taxes? That requires a, a, a kind of thinking and and resource that a lot of people with these disruptive punk rock fuck you ideas don't always have access to right. so i think that that's sort of what i was trying to do is like how do we get a brand through this gauntlet of of you know making bringing a a package good brand to life that totally feels like it does not belong in this world <laughs> and i think that i just knew that people would relate to that it's like wow like regardless of like now i think the other important thing was making it very clear that the sarcasm was very heavy, yeah. that we were not taking ourselves seriously. We weren't actually trying to brand water as heavy. What we're more trying to do is make fun of all the extreme youth marketing of energy drinks. You know, at the end of the day, an energy drink is what? 95% water, 
um, some bubbles and like a little bit of sugar and caffeine. You know, it's like all the same stuff that's in my grandma's breakfast tea, but you can call it monster and put it in a can with a claw <laughs> mark on it. it and, and then they market it to kids and like, you know, Hey, it's all about, you know, action sports and extreme and not, it's all just, and that they're not being sarcastic about it. They're being very serious of like, this is going to appeal to the kids because it's extreme and that's what kids love. And we're kind of making fun of that. It's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to beat you at your own game. And <laughs> up the, if, if it's okay, you know, if all marketing is essentially kind of like storytelling theatrics really around a product, we're going to take ours to the next level and be very clear that this is theatrics. It's, it's, it's professional wrestling. It, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's entertainment and, and people respect entertainment. Like you said, we always look at, we want to give value to people. If we're putting something in your Facebook feed, we want it to make you laugh. We want it to do something besides just say, Hey, buy this, you know? So we're always, and I think entertainment is the easiest way to kind of paint the picture of what that is. It's like, okay, like we should be making people laugh um, and make this the funniest thing that they've seen all day um, every time we put something out there. And, and on that note, on, on your site, um, you say, and I excuse the language, I'm, I'm just a messenger here. You, you say yeah, yeah. Most, most products in the health and wellness space are all marketed with aspirational fitness models and airbrushed celebrities. Fuck that. Why should unhealthy products be the only brands with a permission to be loud, fun, and weird? Besides, all marketing and branding is bullshit. So we're going to take ours less seriously and have more fun with it. So yet, as, as we already you know discussed, branding is everything to liquid death. And that's where the sarcasm kind of fits in. It is right. the lifeline of the death brand. Um, it's, it's really the foundation of the entire brand. What does, after everything that you already shared with us, what does branding mean to you? Because branding has a horrible, horrible kind of like, um, you know, taste in your mouth, right? Like it feels fabricated. Right. It feels big. It feels unreal. It doesn't feel authentic. Yet in my eyes, branding today is a totally different word. It should actually be rebranded, you know, that, that word. Because yeah, it's just, that's a good point. right, yeah. it's so different now. Um, I think it is about a lot of the things that, that you talk about, which you can apply your thinking, quite frankly, to any brand, you know, from, from a brand, uh, from, from a tech brand, um, you know, to, to, to a retail brand, to a healthcare brand, because the foundational elements, you know, of authenticity, of transparency, of understanding your niche audience and diving full in and creating a tribe, you know, all of these things that can be applied to anything. So, so what does branding mean to you today? You know, I, I think you make a really good point that it's branding needs to be rebranded, um, especially now, because what brand meant when the, you know, the, the practice was coined in like the 50s and 60s, you know, branding was more about when there was what, three television channels and a couple billboards here and there, right? You, you had to have a consistency and brand just so that people would remember you because maybe they saw your commercial once on channel two and then they didn't come in contact with your brand again for another week maybe because there was one billboard they passed by and you had to have the brand link the two things together so people knew you know oh it's this brand oh it's this brand you know 
but that's not the case anymore. Like with social media and you know, I don't even know what the number is, like how many advertising messages we're exposed to a day, like thousands yeah. and thousands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, branding is something totally different. And I, I always go back to using examples from the entertainment industry, like using television shows and movies. You know, if, if you had to say, you know, what is Steven Spielberg's brand? It's it's a little it, it becomes a, a lot more complicated. Like you you don't want to reduce him to just a brand. It's like it's a vision. It's a a type of story. It's a it's a place in the world. It's a point of view of a human being that's behind something. You know, like I don't I think it's the days of trying to just bullshit people in terms of like okay, I want my brand to be something that is not at all what I am is I think harder and harder to pull off now, you know, like you totally. kind of, your brand has to be the people who are behind it. And I think, you know, as much as like Steven Spielberg, you know, he makes Steven Spielberg movies. If Steven Spielberg just tried to make, I don't know, like a soap opera TV show, it's like he could probably do it, but it, it, <laughs> it's not, it's not going to have the worldwide acclaim that like him being him actually has, you know? So I think for me, branding is just about making it very clear who the people are behind the brand that you're giving your money to. And I think that's really what it is for us. It's like at the end of the day, there might be four other canned waters on the shelf next to us. And one is, you know, Aquafina canned water, which they already announced they're going to try to test next year. Mm. Super boring looking can, right? Aquafina. Mm -hmm. There might be a couple other ones. At the end of the day, what we're hoping is that all the content we put out there, the messaging we put out there, what we do for people, how we talk, how we sound, what we communicate about ourselves, ultimately, when there's four brands there, someone is like, this is all water. I don't really believe that any of these waters are significantly better from a taste perspective than any of the others. So I, I kind of see it as a level playing field. I want to give my dollar eighty-five to liquid death because I, I want to give my money to those guys more than I want to give it to this faceless kind of water over here or this one that's kind of trying something that I don't really get right here. You know, I think that's ultimately what we want to do is we want to connect with people where they're like, I want to support this company and these people. And it goes well beyond just the functional benefits of what the actual product is. Because in almost every product category, the differences between brands are are basically trivial. Um, what is really the, like if you had to have people blind taste test monster versus Rockstar versus Red Bull, I, I, most people probably couldn't even pick out the difference. You know? yeah. So yeah. at the end of the day, people would rather give their money to Red Bull based on the things they do versus some people, they want to give their money to monster or, you know, whatever. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My my wife and I, um, in a in a in a spur moment of uh, uninspiration, um, we we did a blind water taste test, um, and I think we had uh, maybe like twelve waters from Avion, oh, yeah. you know, from Avion to you know the Trader Joe's brand to you know every single water, and in the end, the one that won was like one of those like in store, you know, like private label kind of right, <laughs> super yeah. cheap water brands, right? Yeah, right. Um, so. Um, 
Well, let, let's talk a little bit more about the people behind the brand. Obviously, you know, with, with you, it's, you know, it, it's yourself, but, but there's also a lot of investment that came in. I think you gained investment totaling 2.3 million, if I'm correct. Maybe it's more by now, but um, that, that alone is, is pretty astonishing. But it's even more remarkable when I look at the names of who actually invested in Liquid Death, from Michael Dubin uh, of Dollar Shave Club fame to Twitter co-founder Bistone to Gary Vee, who... I, as a side note, <laughs> refrained to talk to over the course of a 10 and a half hour flight to London, despite him sitting, um, well, mainly sleeping right right next to me. And I'm very, <laughs> very proud that I had that, you know, that I was able to not talk to him. Um, but these are some serious heavyweights and they understand the power of story and virality. Right. What made them invest in you? Like, what was the reason that Gary Vee said, hey, Mike, I get it. I'll invest in a water company called Liquid Death that, you know, with heads being chopped off people and blood everywhere in its commercial. That makes a lot of sense to me. It'll be a hit. Like, what? Like, what? And I know you, you worked for his company, but, but what was... Um, well, what was the decision of some of these some of these people where they said, no, this is exactly why I believe in it? Um, I mean, part of it, I mean, part of it is me, which, you know, you know, the fact that I worked right. for Gary and, you know, he knew me like he just was like, you, you know, I'm a fan of you, Mike. And, you know, definitely. And, and I believe in this. But I think Gary, for instance, he is one that has no. <laughs> um emotion about what success means you know i think he preaches that all the time it's like don't say you know don't let emotion get in the way of like oh well this maybe offends me or this doesn't seem right because there is a really good chance that this would be a really really good business and i think gary is also hyper aware that social media is the internet now um i think the, he even has a um Mm. a poster on the wall in, in the agency that says social media is just a slang term for the current state of the internet. And it's like, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's where people get all their news. Now it's where they get their entertainment. It's where they learn about what's going on. And he just knows what it takes to succeed in this environment of internet culture. I mean, nothing is censored anymore, right? Like mm -hmm. kids now, they don't care about normal movie star celebrities. It's about, youtube celebrities you know and these kids are not you know the, these youtubers they're not censored um they can kind of do whatever they want they don't have to fit certain formats or you know things like that so the 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 culture of of entertainment and, and what's on social media is in a place now where it's gonna take a certain level of entertainment to actually succeed in that world and compete against these these new forms of, of media and entertainment I think that's what he totally gets. Like he mm -hmm. knew instantly that, oh, this is a brand that will absolutely be a hit on social media, which is at the crux of almost everything that, that we do as a culture now. So he just instantly got that. Yeah. Um, and then of course, he, you know, the fact that, I th and I think this goes along with most people, they've never seen weird, irreverent, crazy being used to actually do something really positive which is mm -hmm. getting more people to drink more water more often um you know i and i think the pairing of those two things i mean that's really what our brand dna is that you know if we were just liquid death and crazy and heads flying and we were 
an energy drink, it would almost be expected. It would be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But the fact that it's all that and it's water and it's promoting, you know, an alternative to single-use plastic because cans are infinitely recyclable um, and basically one of the most sustainable beverage containers by almost every measure, plastic is a huge problem right now that everybody, you know, it's becoming like the new tobacco, really. So it's kind of like sustainability and health paired with just irreverence and weird and, you know, contemporary art and internet culture. That's, I think, what people respond to. Like they, they can kind of justify that. Yes, I know this is crazy and it's, it's viral, but what it's doing is actually really positive and, and we haven't really seen that yeah no absolutely absolutely i i think that's that's a kernel that's a kernel of truth in your brand that is that is super super important once you actually start seeing the the bigger picture and how it actually is a very positive thing that you're doing it's it's you know it's it's fantastic and let's talk about this for a second because you know i'm i'm from austria as i mentioned your water is yeah. also from austria let's talk about how that fits into the story um because how how should we as consumers feel about water being shipped from Fiji and Iceland or, or or Austria? Because as you mentioned, you're you're actually a rather environmentally conscious brand, right? Like you're counting on many vegans, you know, in your target audience, and you use the cans instead of plastic, you know, which which as you as you mentioned with plastic pollution, that's a that's a huge issue. Um, how do you feel about shipping water from from across you know across the pond? So the reason that we're uh, bottling and sourcing in Austria is because when I first, um, it's starting to change a little bit now, but when I first was looking to um, produce the brand, there is not a single co-packer or bottler in North America who can put non-carbonated spring water in cans. It doesn't exist. Oh, wow. Crazy. Because um, basically the, the kind of equipment you need for canning when the product doesn't have carbonation and doesn't have a uh, preservative in it is very different than 99.9% of canned products, which either have carbonation or a preservative in it. So most of these canning facilities, they weren't equipped to, to do this. And if you want to use spring water and not just use, you know, factory tap water, which most people don't realize, smart water, Aquafina, Dasani, Essentia, Life Water, they're all just purified municipal water from the right. factory. Right, it's mind-blowing, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 Um, so we, we kind of knew that as a premium brand, you know, because cans are more expensive, you know, than plastic because it's metal. That's also the reason that cans are actually profitable to recycle because the recycled aluminum actually has good value to it that the recycling company can sell and make a profit on based on what it costs to recycle it. Plastic is not because recycled plastic is uh, such low quality. They can't really sell it or make a profit on what it costs them to do. They used to sell it to China, but then now China is saying, we don't want to buy your recycled right. plastic garbage anymore. Yeah. So what happens a lot of the time is plastic comes in to a recycling facility and rather than spending the money to grind it down and recycle it, They just have to send it to the landfill because they're not going to go out of business um, recycling something that's not it's not profitable. So uh, aluminum actually, because of the high material value, actually helps subsidize the recycling of cheap materials like plastic and glass, 
which the final where the final recycled product almost has no value to it to resell. Um, so that's kind of a long-winded way of saying that the way that most um, th that we got to Austria was we just kind of realized that if we wanted to do spring water and put it in cans, um, the a any source if you bottle at the source that's pretty much what you want to do because the expense of trying to truck tanker trucks of water from a source far away to some canner doesn't mm -hmm. really make sense so most most spring water brands are bottled at the source any spring water source in the u.s like they definitely didn't have any canning capabilities so we found this place in austria um, outside salzburg and um, we flew out there we met them they own you know for their own private um, you know mineral water springs they had all the canning capabilities and i mean i I've been to Apple's office offices in Culver City, and this bottler's offices in Austria were nicer than Apple's offices. <laughs> <laughs> See, you had to say something nice about Austria. I was fishing for compliments. I'm like, well, because Austria has the best damn spring water in the world. But you're like, nope, they're the only ones it, who could pull it off. <laughs> no, it's really, I mean, Austria is the most beautiful place I've ever been to. All right, That's there we go. Now. There yeah, we yeah. go. Hands down. Oh, but, uh, you're a lot so yeah. back on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, it was kind of just a random, like, you know, I just kept making phone calls to, to bottlers and they kept saying, oh yeah, no, we don't do that. Oh yeah, no, we don't do that. Oh, it can't be done. Had professionals from the industry doing research for us out there too. Uh, hey, no one can do it. So finally found this place in Austria, flew out there, met them, they could do it. We really liked them. So we're like, yeah, Austria is kind of cool too, because it's like most people haven't had an Austrian water necessarily and it's kind of yeah. like a fun you know a fun kind of interesting thing that could work with the brand so yeah let's let's do that but we're actually going to be moving all of our water canning and production um uh starting next month um to uh british columbia in canada for that oh. exact reason so oh, we wow. don't have to ship um you know water overseas it's a much shorter shorter journey um, that's awesome Congrats! Yeah. That's that's a that's a big move, and I, I I love to hear that. You know, I think I think it, it, it works really really well with what, what you're trying to do. But you know, back back to those those curveballs. I mean, you would have never thought that bottling water in a freaking can would be one of those big curveballs in your entrepreneurial journey, where you're like, what? That that can't happen. <laughs> you know, I have to. Right, yeah. oh, I mean, those yeah. are the things that you know people don't think about when they when they start a business. You know, it's like, well, that seems like it makes a lot of sense. Let's do that. Um, Right. We, we, we have to slowly wrap up, but, but, but a big question that I like to ask everyone on my show is if you could describe your, your, your brand in, in one word, and I call it your brand DNA, um, what could that word be? I know it's not deaf. Don't tell me it's deaf. It's not deaf. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's murder. No. <laughs> there uh, you go. Exactly. Uh, uh, no, it's funny. We've um, been working with... Um, uh, some friends of ours, like we're actually kind of partnering because now that the, the business is, uh, is growing and, you know, I can't run the business and actually execute and do all the marketing at the same time. We're now working with a creative agency partner, um, run by a friend of mine named Matt Heath. Um, they're called Partyland, Um, and we've kind of been working with them on that same exact thing where they're like, Hey, if we had to distill the brand down to one word, what would it be? And we kind of, we had a little talk about it and, right now where we're landing with it is mischief hmm. um that i think is really the dna of the brand is you know getting 
into, you know, pushing the buttons and, you know, getting into things you're not supposed to get into and, you know, but all rooted in kind of this fun um, and, and doing stuff that's subversive. Um, trying to always avoid doing the, the traditional approach to something like rather than, okay, if we want to be at this music festival, the music festival wants to charge you a sponsorship fee of $80,000. You pay them that money. And now you have the right to sell them water that they're going to sell at the festival, right? That's how every <laughs> other brand has to do it. We're going to look at, okay, how do we like crowbar open the back door to get in there and have a presence? Like, how do, like, do we actually go to the headlining band who we think would be into the product and they're really stoked on it and we get it to them and then they request that it's like in the green room and then all the other artists have access to, you know, it's like, that's more mischief. Like, how do you, yeah. how do you subvert? How do you kind of go around just like the, the, the pay to play or the, the traditional way that most brands like Coca-Cola or these other brands have to do because they don't, they just don't have the, the fandom of a brand like ours that would actually, um, have people go out of their way for you or, or let you in the back door or, you know, or whatever. Well, and mischief is, is such, it's such a great ownable word too, right? And, and, and you can totally live up to it. And, and it's in a way, it's a, it's a, you know, watered down version of punk rock, <laughs> which I think yeah, works, yeah, works yeah, really yeah, well. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So, so I have so many more questions, but we got to wrap it up. Um, listeners who fell in love with, uh, with, with liquid death <laughs> just now is, is Amazon the place to go to, um, to get their taste of liquid death or, um, should they sign up to your, your newsletter, which by the way, is one of my favorite pieces of your brand because, uh, for, for my listeners, um, the newsletter sign up fine print, you know, that little thing that is underneath the big button saying, sign me up instead of the GDPR blurb, which everyone freaked out about, Oh my God, we have to be you know like compliant it actually says by selecting start selling my soul which is the button to click to sign up <laughs> i agree i want to receive important info and offers from liquid death since they will own my soul for eternity <laughs> so i guess you can do that you can start selling my soul on the website hit that button or um where else can they can they find your product right now yeah so you can buy it on amazon or you can buy it um, direct from our website at liquiddeath.com. Um, and in terms of selling your soul, I think that's an interesting, uh, that's one of, it's been one of our most popular things now is basically on our website, you can legally sell us your soul. There's an actual legal document that we had a, a real <laughs> lawyer draft up. Um, it'll automatically populate your name and everything in there. You click to sign it like a DocuSign digital thing. And that is the only way that you can join the liquid death country club is by selling your soul. And then once you're a country club member on our website, we will, you'll get a free VIP case added to your first order. If you're a country club member. And since uh, this is, this is a legal document, do you also outline what you will be doing with the soul of your tribe members? No, it basically says we can do whatever we want with it. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> There's going to be a whole new podcast about what you have done with this all once, once, once the deceased, um, you know, start, you know, <laughs> start appearing yeah. um, in your office. Well, Mike, this was this was a blast. I, I really appreciate taking your time out of a busy schedule at a time when your young brand is 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 really taking off. So thank you so much for for having been on the show. 
Yeah, no, thanks for having me. It was, uh, it was, it was fun. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and thanks to you for listening, for subscribing, for rating, and for reviewing this podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Finian, a brand consultancy creating strategic, verbal, and visual brand clarity. You can learn more about Finian and download free white papers to support your own brand launch or rebranding efforts at finian.com. The Hitting the Mark theme music was written and produced by Happiness One. I will see you next time when we once again will be hitting the mark. Mark.